Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, people. Today, what we're going to be doing is discussing some what we've been watching, and then we're going to be diving in-depth uh, for our featured review this week, which is going to be Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Skyscraper. Uh, so I think look, Dwayne the Rock Johnson is he is the skyscraper skyscraper right? yes. yeah um, scraping the sky he skyscraped for sure yeah. in that movie um, so find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com uh, and uh, I want to do some follow-up which we sometimes do at the beginning of our episodes uh, follow-up on our conversation last week about AMC Stubbs A-list and also movie pass so uh, one thing I wanted to mention about AMC, we, we talked about some of the positives and negatives of the Stubbs A-List, which is AMC's new subscription service. Uh, one thing we did not mention that I wanted to make sure we mentioned was that to subscribe to A-List, you need to subscribe for three months minimum. Uh, didn't mention that during our like pros and cons of AMC Stubbs A-List. So it's like $60 minimum, and it's billed monthly. Uh, so it's not like you pay $60 all up, at, uh, uh, up front right. all at once. Uh, but it is kind of a commitment. You can't like make an yeah. impulse purchase of a list. This, this um, is true. I, you know what also cost me sixty dollars? What is buying it? tickets for my family to see Skyscraper? So, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, th- I said, think a list is still good. David, you said uh, you can't make an impulse purchase for a list, and yet I did this week. Mm. Yeah, mm. I'm in, baby. Wow. I'm an A-lister. <laughs> Congratulations, Jeff. Welcome to the a list. Yeah, I uh, um, I started you know swinging my weight around in the I just walked in and proclaimed a lister a lister coming through <laughs> move out of the way a lister here mm. where's my popcorn a lister and uh, they didn't appreciate that at all that but I, I just I I learned it by watching you I didn't appreciate it I didn't appreciate it you know just now when you said it on the show so. <laughs> uh, okay. oh, I really did I really did um, I have a, as I mentioned last week I have uh, an AMC theater literally across the street from my house. I, it's walking. I could walk across the street and get an, an AMC theater. And so I figured uh, after all of your talking about it last week, uh, I'm, I'm losing money not doing it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Exactly. Well, speaking of losing money, uh, we did get a bunch of feedback about our conversation. Uh, this email comes in from Michael from the Purdue University College of Pharmacy, who writes into slash filmcast at gmail.com. Uh, Michael writes in, as I'm sure you know, MoviePass implemented surge pricing for movie show times that are in quote-unquote high demand this past week. <laughs> when a movie is eligible for peak pricing, a gray box with a lightning bolt appears in it next to the showtime. Uh, when demand reaches whatever MoviePass deems to be high demand, the box turns from gray to red, and you will have to pay anywhere between 2 to $6 more to see that movie. Yesterday was the first time I really felt the sting of what that means for the future of MoviePass. I wanted to go see an 8.15 p.m. showing of Ant-Man and the Wasp. I left my apartment at 8.05 p.m. and got there right at 8.15 p.m. When I left my apartment, the movie was not affected by peak pricing. In the (laughs) 10 minutes it took me to get to the movie theater, the movie had become high demand. I was now faced with the dilemma of paying an extra $4 to see the movie or just go home. I decided to take the hit just this one time and pay the extra money. I expected to walk into a packed movie theater. After all, MoviePass, in all its infinite wisdom, had decided this movie was in high demand. Surely my extra $4 was money well spent to be one of the last people to see this particular showtime of the movie. Instead, I walked into a movie theater that was at most a quarter full. (laughs) 
<laughs> I've stayed with MoviePass since October of last year. I was annoyed when they changed their policy so that you can only see a movie once. But I told myself that was okay because in reality, I don't see a movie twice in theaters. But this is the breaking point for me. To change a movie to high demand less than 15 minutes before it shows so that I'm put in a situation where I pay almost 50% of my monthly fee to MoviePass or go home seems unfair, especially when I got to the theater only to see it a quarter full. I have an AMC theater that is farther away. It's about 20 minutes compared to 10 minutes. But I'm now seriously considering dropping MoviePass and switching to AMC's plan. It might cost more, but the price will be worth it to feel like I'm not being betrayed by MoviePass every time I want to see a movie on the weekend. End mm. quote. So, yeah. If this were a slash film court, <laughs> I'm definitely siding with this, this guy. Uh, <laughs> MoviePass is yeah. in his favor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've actually seen multiple of these stories too yes. on Twitter this week. So it's insane. I Ridiculous. Think, I think it's a real problem. So, so MoviePass's timing to implement search pricing could not have been worse, right? I mean, they implemented <laughs> search pricing within a, a weeks of AMC A-list launching. That's just, yeah. It just like it invites. I know you. what the people want. They want to pay more. <laughs> it, it just oh, invites it, it the comparison. Yeah, uh, and so and invites a comparison, and you know the comparison is unfavorable to MoviePass. But what is interesting to me is that. The, the reaction across all walks of life that we've seen on Twitter and via email is people feel uh, deceived by this whole search pricing. Right. Because there is this kind of mental model, like when you do search pricing with uh, Uber or something like that, right? There's this whole mental model of, oh, I'm doing search pricing, but on some level I understand because it means there's like a gajillion people that are trying to, to hail this car. And uh, so it's the search pricing makes it so that uh, I, I pay more, but I'm able to get it during a, a period of high demand. So people expect to walk into a surge pricing screening uh, and it, have it be full. Like they, that's just a, psychologically, that's what they expect. Mm-hmm. And they're walking in, and it's um, many of them are completely empty. And it seems like it does. Yeah, yeah go it ahead. It does seem like the, the system isn't sophisticated enough to actually make the call on specific screenings right. being full. Right. It's just saying this title. Is this in title high and at this time, in general, at, at yeah. this time, yeah, basically every big wide release uh, during its launch yeah. will yeah. be in high demand. <laughs> right, the, the point when people see. actually want to use their movie pass. So, okay, <laughs> it's problematic. Yeah. It's, it's problematic. problematic. Yeah, I honestly, I started having issues. My breaking point with movie pass was when um, I would just try to go to a screening. This was like maybe a year or two ago, and uh, that particular movie was just not. Part like I would go there and they'd have listings for the theater, but not that one movie I actually wanted to see, which was kind of ridiculous. I think they had an issue with like uh, Disney films or something were just not being listed on Movie Pass. So, that, yeah, it's that sort of thing where you pay for a service and then all of a sudden it just goes like you know it it completely changes uh, every day, I guess. And I have to say, having been to my local AMC theater, and again. We're not sponsored by them. Uh, we're not, you know, I'm not. The movie Pass is just so bad. Like, yeah, it's doing I, it to itself. It was interesting to me to see how much this was pushed in location. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. before mm-hmm. the movie, there was an entire uh, slide and and um, sort of pre-show video that was shown. And they even uh, advertised the fact that if you were seeing this screening without a list you could retroactively have this ticket apply toward your first month oh man so it was literally like are you sitting there did you pay like 20 <laughs> bucks to see this <laughs> just let us give what you a rip month. off right like yeah. uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah 
I thought that was pretty savvy, actually. It's, that's something indie theaters do quite a bit, too. Like, uh, BAM here in Brooklyn, if you go see a screening, uh, you can apply that ticket price towards your membership for the year. And uh, I also love that, too. So Yeah, yeah I, I, I think overall smart. I've been fairly impressed with the rollout, meaning uh, like operationally it feels like the, there's a unified message. Like the, the A-list ads are appearing, you know, all over the place and, like, communicating the same thing overall. Um, I'm, I'm impressed operationally with how they've been able to, to achieve it. Uh, we got this email from Matt G from uh, DC who writes in uh, – he just joined the A-list – and he wrote, quote, a decade ago, I went to the movies multiple times a month. This time last month, I'd seen perhaps four films in theaters all year. AMC A-list and reserve seating have genuinely been the improvements to the movie-going experience I needed to bring me back. Plus, the AMC Georgetown is a half-hour bike ride from my apartment, so I can not only go to the movies for free, but also get a solid workout in. Uh, I am all here for the subscription movie pass feature as handled by theater chains. My friends in New Hampshire are very jealous and eagerly await whatever Regal's answer to A-list will be. Uh, thanks for the wonderful podcast. You truly brighten my week with each episode. And congrats to Vindra on your upcoming fatherhood. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations, Vindra. Um, yeah. I would so, love to know from our audience if they have what I'm going to refer to as the <laughs> David Chen effect, which is a undue pressure, self-applied, to squeeze the absolute most out of <laughs> out of the subscription. So do you feel, if you've joined any of these uh, services, that you have to see more movies uh, lest the, the subscription fee be wasted? Right. I, I mean, I have to tell you, Jeff, uh, that my answer to that question is 100% yes. Not only well, that. I, I think that's why I call it the, the Dave Chen effect, Dave. I yeah. Think, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I uh, I went to the theater. You know, I actually this is actually a thing that happened to me this week, okay, Jeff? Uh-huh. I went to the theater uh, with my A-list, uh, you know, intending to use A-list. <laughs> with your A-list hat. With yeah. my, my A-list, A-list hat on. <laughs> T-shirt, jacket, and pants. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and like uh, you know, a uh, portable Bluetooth speaker just blaring. I'm on the A list repeatedly, <laughs> and uh, I went to go check out. Like I went to go buy my use one of my three tickets, and I discovered that uh, it was a matinee I was seeing, and the ticket was only six dollars. Oh. And <laughs> and so waste. I was like, and so oh, I man. was like, do I? Use this, you know, use the six dollar ticket uh, as one of my A list ones and save a potential movie for later on this week. Or it's like Sophie's choice, right there. It's, 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 it's one of the most most uh, mind boggling dilemmas of our time. Uh, yeah, and then you know the other the other choice was to simply use it as one of the A list tickets and then deprive myself later on, uh, which yeah. is what I ended up doing, by the way. So I ended up using <laughs> one of my A list tickets, which is worth potentially, as Devinder indicated, $22 yeah. on this $6 I, it, it, they say, it An A list in the me. hand is worth two <laughs> in the bush. I mean, if you're familiar with the term cognitive dissonance, I will tell you that this experience was psychologically torturous. I um, like how I, Dave manages to ruin good things like, <laughs> yeah. so easily. Yeah. So, uh, so not I don't only... know how much of our audience <laughs> is is in a similar uh, place of just and now it's like you did this thing because you enjoy movies and now you have <laughs> destroyed the joy and only added stress and torment and pain to your life. That's because right. now it's like the Twilight Zone episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. you just want to read a book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is the stepping on your glasses. There was supposed to be watching. time enough at last, guys. Time enough <laughs> at last for all the A list movies, except some of them now cost six dollars, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> 
Anyway. The, the key, by the way, to avoid uh, any of this feeling is, yeah, go to the most expensive screenings uh, at your AMC. <laughs> and for me, it is at Dolby Vision screening, that $22. You know, I, yeah. I, I get one of those tickets and my subscription is paid for the month. So, yeah, oh, we should, we should we should issue another uh, correction to last week's episode. So, yes, I've been using A-List a lot. I've seen four movies in the last week at theaters, right? So that's... That's way more than even I would usually do. Um, one of those movies was to, to see Ant-Man and the Wasp again uh, in IMAX. $18 ticket, which uh, it was really fun to use an A-list thing on. And uh, my wife hadn't seen Ant-Man and the Wasp, but she wanted to check it out. And uh, during Ant-Man and the Wasp second viewing... Did you, uh, did you sit with her or did she have to sit in the B-list section? <laughs> um, I, no comment. And uh, during the second viewing, I realized that... I was, in fact, correct about Hope Van Dyne's last name's pronunciation mm-hmm. last week, but Jeff Kanata corrected me, said it was Hope Van Dyne. Of course, immediately after I left the screening, I texted Jeff and I said, hey, it was Hope Van Dyne. And Jeff, you said you had gotten her confused with Casper Van Dyne. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was the first time somebody's mentioned Casper Van Dyne in a podcast. Yeah. I, in, uh, in years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I just wanted to, to call out, like, it is Hope Van Dyne. It's not yeah. pronounced Van Dyne the way Casper Van Dyne's name is pronounced. And yet, I don't, yeah. Casper Van Dyne, you know? <laughs> is, that, is that all? Is there a follow-up right? to that? Yeah, and yet, and yet Casper Van Dyne is Casper all I'm going to say. Dean. There's a Starship Troopers Netflix movie with your name on it. Yeah. Coming soon. Hmm. Well... I mean, the, the dude has been busy. That's that. You know, like he is uh, with Starship Trooper sequels. He's yeah. made a lot of like. If you look at his IMDb, he's in like a ton of things. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I stand by the. I stand by the Casper Van Dien. Hmm, hmm. I go down. I'll go down in that ship. Uh, I, I will also just say that uh, seeing the movie again. I'm you know I'm not going to talk about it, but I like I, I will say that uh, the it, it is wonderful to watch an audience's reaction to that post credit sequence. When they haven't seen it before, uh, yeah, okay. that that is a blast. So, gasps. Uh, yeah, a lot, lot of strong reactions. Don't want to spoil anything, Jeff, for those who haven't seen it, but mm. it is a strong reaction. Gotcha. Uh, I will also say, like the, the n- not the post credit sequence, the actual credits, the end credits of mm-hmm. uh, Ant Man and the Wasp is really fun and creative. Oh yeah. So, uh, do you think that that's digital, it. or do you think that people made those? I think people made those. I think people made yeah. those things. Yeah. All right. Anyway, um, okay. So thanks for your emails. Uh, keep them coming in to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Gentlemen, let's get to what we've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, you watched something that I also saw, both of us using the Stubbs movie A-List. It was my first A-List uh, film, in fact. Tell uh, us about that A-List street. experience, Jeff. I have to say it was pretty, it was pretty good. I, I, um, I straight up impulse bought it, um, it, it late at night, and it said – Hey, you just became a member of the A-list, and then it had a picture of Dave Chan with like a gold <laughs> A-list chain around his neck. Did you know it was wow. like a three-month minimum when you did that, or did I you did just... not. Okay, I so now have... you're locked in to the A-list. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that. I didn't expect yeah. it to be like a one-month in and out kind of a thing, yeah. you know. Um, so I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that. A subscription service, you figure, is a subscription service, right? So it's not, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Um, and uh, I thought it was pretty elegantly done. It said immediately, it said, now that you've you become a member of the A-list, do you want to make your first movie uh, reservation? We'd love to do that for you. And I just thought that was kind of cool. It's like, hey, you can see movies. Start seeing them. Go. 
And so I did, uh, I selected three identical strangers, which I had heard was good, but I did not know anything about it. Which yeah. I, I will I also say, Jeff, like, uh, when I went, you know, I went on, um, a Friday night to go see Ant-Man and the Wasp, uh, and, uh, there was actually a crowd at the theater and I actually had the chance to cut people in line because I was a member of the A-list. Oh man, that's got to feel so good. I was like, "This is amazing! Like, is this this is must be what it feels like to be to fly first class?" You know? Did you just say, yeah. "Excuse me, excuse me," and then hold up your A list card? Excuse me, excuse yeah. me, excuse me. Sorry, it, sorry. It's on me. your phone though, so you're just holding up your phone. It's like, <laughs> well, look at this, look at this. Yeah, and I kind on the one hand, I felt guilty because it's like, hey, um, this woman waited much longer than me to get popcorn, but on the other hand, I felt amazing. So yeah. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. On the other hand, yeah. screw that woman. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I mean, it is it is like cool to to be able to pay twenty dollars a month and have like a premium experience of some kind. You know, yeah. what I mean? my anyway. God, we are cast system alive. It's great. <laughs> they should be sponsoring us. We are giving them so much free advertising. Agreed. It's crazy. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so anyway, three, three identical strangers. Is a movie three identical show. strangers. So I'm not going to mention anything about this movie that isn't spoiled by the title. Yes. Uh, but suffice it to say, there's more to it than the title. And in, in fact, uh, I was pleased to see they don't draw out the reveal of the title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, very, I mean, the movie starts and like five minutes in, we've got three identical strangers. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, it's like, and, it's, and, like and, it's like all it, you know, the climax of the movie happens in the first like 10 minutes of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay, well this is great because. I kind of suspected we were headed here, but I'm glad we got here this yeah. fast. What, was it like that Spider-Man meme where they just like looked at each other and point at each other, but it was three of them? Yeah, basically. Yeah. It's, okay. cra- it's crazy. It's crazy. So the, the idea, you know, again, not giving anything away that's not given away by the title, but it's about these two brothers that find themselves uh, in like they went, they go to the same college and they find themselves in the most unlikely of circumstances. And it's like, oh, my gosh, we're separated at birth twins. Uh, and then there's a third. There is another to quote right. uh, someone else. So uh, yeah, and there's yeah. three three brothers, identical twins. And I mean, it, I should, or, we should mention. I didn't. I didn't even mention for people that may not be aware. This is a documentary, yeah. right? This is not. This is not a fictional film. This is a documentary, and it very much is a documentary in the sense that we get in lots of interviews of the of the families and to people and all that stuff. Uh, but there are some uh, reenactments, and I thought the reenactments were actually pretty interestingly approached it was a lot of um obscure shots uh behind the heads of things so there were actors cast as younger versions of characters uh, because this takes place in, in the past and tells the story of their lives uh but we never see their faces so we're never kind of thrown off by the fact that this these are actors i just thought that was kind of a, a smart choice in the sense that you get to see a sense of what that may have been like but it's all sort of dreamlike and abstracted instead of uh, trying to actually recreate it with with actors like you might see in a you know a bad uh, true crime television show or something. Yeah. Um, anyway, I thought that was well done, and I where the show where the film uh, goes is pretty interesting. Made me think uh, is is kind of moving, and it really starts to bring up really interesting questions about nature versus nurture, which I find to be a fascinating topic, and. Um, I I I really enjoyed the movie. I thought um 
I thought it was it was compelling. It was interesting. It had interesting twists and turns, and it sort of wove its yarn of the twists and turns fairly effectively. There were several times where the movie does sort of a uh, uh, usual suspects, where it's like it shows you clips that you already saw yeah. as like a, and I did not need that. I mean, <laughs> the movie is uh, is ninety minutes. It's literally like 20 minutes ago that we saw that <laughs> stuff the first time. You don't need to sort of reveal, oh, we're putting the pieces together because they're fresh in my mind. <laughs> so I found those moments to be a little uh, uh, overwrought and sort of you know beating me over the head with it. But for the most part, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a, a movie well worth seeing and one you should see knowing as little about it as possible. Yeah, uh, I saw this movie through Identical Strangers as well using my Stubbs A-list subscription and uh, I think it's worth checking out. This is a story that's fairly well told. Um, it's a story where uh, I really like it when the uh, documentarian actually has contributed meaningfully to the, to the story that they're describing, you know, like that they're documenting. Um, so original journalism was done in the course of this movie and I uh, appreciate that. Got to admire that. I do think the movie uh, doesn't really take a super strong point of view on any of the particular topics that it covers. I agree, um, and and I kind of wish it did. Like I, I don't. I like it when documentaries are from a perspective, and um, I, I may not agree with the perspective, but it's like it, it felt like I don't know, kind of um, kind of timid somehow in its in its depiction of these fairly insane events. Um, and so, I don't know, I felt like like a, a strong point of view was missing from the movie, uh, but it is an insane story and fairly well told and therefore worth watching in my opinion. So, yeah, three identical totally strangers. Agree. Um, any other thoughts, Jeff? No, I, I definitely agree that I, I found the the sort of conclusions to be a little unsatisfying. Yeah, kind of um, weak. Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, not... Not to the point where I wouldn't recommend the film. I think it's a it's a fascinating thing that I had no I'd never heard about, and, and clearly was sort of in the public uh, realm for you know in the eighties. But it, fe- it felt like uh, a wild, wild country uh, yeah, repeat yeah. where wild, wild country and three identical strangers both tell stories that like tens, if not hundreds, of millions of people knew about this story, right? They both like, heavily feature Phil Donahue. Yeah, both, it's like Phil Donahue, like, describing all the stuff that's going on. And, like, you see segments <laughs> from Phil Donahue. News, national newscasts, Tom Brokaw, yeah. you know, like, all these people talking about this stuff. Meanwhile, like, I have absolutely no memory of it. Um, and, no. yeah, I mean, I, I had no idea what the details of the story were. Um, but it, it almost reminded me of, like, Old Boy, like, to paraphrase Old Boy, where it's like, these three identical strangers are are uh, are triplets, identical triplets, and they find each other over time. But the question is not how and why did they find each other. The question is why were they separated in the first place, right? And uh, you know, the most of the coverage, the national coverage, focuses on the first question, like, oh, how do they find each other? Oh, what a crazy story! Um, and this movie dives deeper and asks, like, why were they separated in the first place? What was going on there? And uh, I think you'll find the answer is really interesting. So, yeah. Three Identical Strangers. Check it out. <laughs> it's uh, playing uh, at local theaters and at AMC. Um, A-list approved. A-list approved. A-list That's approved. right. Devendra Hardwar, you've been watching something this week, right? Yeah, I finally got to see Gemini, uh, which is a film by uh, Aaron Katz. 
It's a modern noir starring uh, starring Lola Kirk and Zoe Kravitz. Um, Lola Kirk is like the assistant, the personal assistant to Zoe Kravitz, but also a good friend. And Zoe Kravitz is playing um, basically a very famous actress, it seems like. Uh, somebody who I'm sure that must have been quite a stretch Rossi. for her. Yeah, um, but what a stretch! The uh, the movie Gemini, like when I saw the trailer in theaters, mm-hmm. I was like, "This is gorgeous movie." It's you know, a this great trailer. Looks amazing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a great trailer, and I think the movie itself has a lot of that style. Like it's a it's an L.A. noir film, you know. So I think you kind of have a sense of what you'd expect from that. Uh, it feels like a mix of Chinatown meets like Michael Mann and his nice electric night scenes and everything. Um, as a noir story, though, like it is, it doesn't feel that new or that original. It just feels like a really, you know, it's a, it is a fun rendition of a story you've seen told a lot before, and um, you know, it's worth watching just for the style and the music too. is pretty fantastic. And uh, Lola Kirk, who I've been watching on uh, Mozart in the Jungle, I really like her as an actress as well. So it's fascinating to see her. John Cho's in this, and he plays like the detective who's trying to outsmart uh, Lola Kirk. So what happens is somebody dies and all of a sudden Lola Kirk is like the suspect for this crime. And uh, yeah, John chose the guy trying to hunt her down and also trying to figure out what actually happened. And uh, cast wise, this movie super strong style wise. It's great. Um, I don't think it does that much new, unfortunately. And it feels like, uh, I don't know. I, I think of a movie like Chinatown, right? Which doesn't have, I think the most complex plot in the world, but it's peppered with a lot of style and a lot of characters you really remember and just little things, just like that moment where like Polanski himself like pops up and like carves up uh, Jack Nicholson's face. Right. Um, little things like that, that give those movies personality. I don't think this movie has a lot of personality. It just has a lot of style, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, sorry to hear uh, Gemini wasn't one of your favorite films. So it's it's not a movie you'd recommend or it's like, okay? I would recommend it. It's more like, you know, this is one of those things I bought on iTunes because I yeah. tend to buy independent films, uh, you know, just to support them. And uh, I couldn't see it in theaters either. So, the, you know, 15 bucks is about the price of a ticket. Uh, but it feels more like a rental for me than a buy. Hmm. Gotcha. All right. Um, well, thanks for sharing, Devendra. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I do, I do that sometimes too where I, I'll buy a movie even though, like – I'm not going to watch it anytime in the near future. Just because right, right. it's like, I like the idea that this movie exists and sure. I want to I support. I bought Knowing for $5 because <laughs> it was on sale this week, you know? Yeah. I bought that movie uh, Revenge. I'm actually going to yeah. watch that at some point, you know, but it, yep. it was on iTunes and I'm like, okay, I got to I gotta like support, you know, movies yeah. like this. Um, uh, just because, yeah, I mean, like, you you, you got to vote with your dollars, people. Vote with your, vote dollars. With your dollars. Make sure people see you, like, that you actually want to see these things. Um, you, you're taking it next level, Dave. Like, uh, I buy, like, when I actually want to watch it. I'm not, like, buying ahead of time here. But when there are sales, I certainly buy ahead of time. Like, I did pick up Knowing again because it's uh, it's 5 bucks for 4K HDR Knowing. And that movie is gorgeous and insane. So I'd love to see that again. It does have a really good kind of plane crash sequence. Uh, yeah. I remember from, from that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of speaking of movies, uh, I, I bought some uh, some 4K Blu-rays recently. Um, pretty pretty psyched about that. Uh, Matrix got the Matrix on 4K Blu-ray. Looking oh, nice! Yeah, that out. I hear they uh, the, so they mess with the coloring again to mm. I think make it less green uh, and more like the blue that it, we originally saw it in in the mm. theater. So oh, that's okay. kind of nice. I'm excited about that. Uh, yeah. And I I triple dipped on Mad Max Fury Road. Oh yeah, to get the 4K version, which uh, Mm -hmm. I really am ashamed of. Jeff, like you don't even buy physical media anymore, right? Like you don't. 
Rarely, yeah. rarely. Yeah, I did buy Mad Max Fury Road though. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> you know, when you're when you're double dipping, it's like double the double dip happened all the way back in the age of DVD when they would release a DVD and then later mm-hmm. on they would release the same DVD with more special features. And yeah. then you know, with Blu-rays, you could, could theoretically triple dip and now like yeah. go up to the like freaking Criterion dip. edition. Criterion comes edition. Out that's right. Yeah. Yeah, you could but I mean, so double dip. dipping yeah. was kind of a new thing for DVDs too, right? Because in the VHS era, first of all, people weren't buying that many VHSs because yeah, they right. were so freaking expensive. And yeah. to have like another VHS come out after you spent like God knows how much to buy that first one, like that would never happen. But yeah. DVDs were so cheap that, uh, yeah, yeah, the studios realized they could just keep doing this over and over again and we'll pay because we're, we're freaking movie nerds. Yeah. Well, D- DVDs, you know, before that, it, it was hard to add special features because it was like, yeah. leave the tape running and there's right. more. <laughs> there's more. Or of... laser disc, like get a giant saucer, right. you know, player. <laughs> yeah. yeah. On, on, on that note, like, you know, spe- speaking of the old days, you guys hear uh, that, uh, what, so I had a short film play at the bend film festival in oregon last nice. year i was really psyched about that and mm-hmm. name of the short film was dr b you can find it on vimeo right now and uh when we were driving to bend which is like a six hour drive uh on the way we passed what uh, seemed to my eye to be a blockbuster video and i was like oh my gosh we gotta stop but then you know we're driving for like six hours like we didn't want to stop because it's you know takes a whole day of driving uh, and I was like, we're, we're going to have to check that out on the way back. And then we just passed it on the way back. And I deeply regret it because that actually was a blockbuster video. And uh, <laughs> this week it became the last blockbuster video in America. Oh, um, I didn't know that that's possible. Like, isn't the entire corporate structure of blockbuster just gone? Yeah. So I think uh, Dish Network basically acquired the scraps Uh, of what was left and so this blockbuster video store licenses the blockbuster video name from dish uh on a yearly basis yeah they they just keep one around to uh serve as a warning to all the others (laughs) don't do this that's That's a bad idea um but yeah now i'm really bummed that i didn't get a chance to go i mean we have an amazing video store here in seattle scarecrow video so um it's not like i'm we're hurting for video stores here but it is kind of this very interesting relic of um of video stores you know and and like, did you guys used to go to Blockbuster Video a lot? Oh, oh yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, went, I went all the time. Like, you uh, go to Blockbuster Video without knowing at all what you were going to leave with. Yeah. You just <laughs> walk up and down the aisles and look at stuff and decide. Uh, as you're there, it was like a half an hour experience in the Blockbuster of just deciding what to see yeah. that night. Ultimately, they got greedy, guys. Um, they, I think they. <laughs> Is that what uh, happened? They obviously. Well, I think a lot of people hated the whole late fees thing, and that's kind of what one of the many factors that allowed Netflix, which is discs by mail, which was at the time discs by mail with no late fees, to take off. Right. Um, so, and plus they expanded like incredibly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. and they you know, didn't was... buy Netflix when they had the chance. So mm. yeah, indeed. I remember. I actually remember when Blockbuster launched their own Netflix competitor. Do you guys remember? That? <laughs> yeah. Um. I do. Was it Blockbuster yeah. Now? I think or something. I don't. Like that? I don't remember it being called Blockbuster Now. But yeah, it was. It was like I. Rem- I distinctly remember. <laughs> Putting blockbuster discs into an envelope and mailing. I do remember that. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you remember when Netflix decided that Netflix was only going to refer to the mail order disc thing, and they were going (laughs) to spin off the streaming service? Quickster Quickster. is what it was going to be called. But yeah, at at one time there were nine thousand blockbuster video stores in the United States. Yeah. Um, And by now there's that one. 
now there's that one. Now there's that one. I kind of want to make a pilgrimage, you know, kind of want to go back. Like a ton of places wrote stories on it this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, LA Times had a story on it. If, if, if like everywhere hadn't written a story on it, I'd be like, oh, maybe I should go down there and like shoot a video or something like that. But um, I do kind of want to make a pilgrimage and just, you know, it, it is a place where many of us spent much of our youth. Yeah. Uh, so uh, anyway, just wanted to throw that out there. Okay. Divinder Hardware, what else have you been watching? Uh, a couple of things. I did uh, see yesterday, I went to screening of Summer Sam at uh, the BAM Theater here in Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think I have much to say about this movie. <laughs> it is not among my favorite Spike Lee's. It was cool that he was there to uh, talk about his, uh, his, I think, I believe it's his personal print. And just talk about, like, you know, how he put the movie together. And it is kind of unusual because it's a movie about... Um, you know, the infamous uh, Son of Sam murders. Uh, and also, it's a Spike Lee movie set in like a predominantly white neighborhood. Um, it stars John Leguizamo and Adrian Brody. Uh, I don't think many people really remember this movie, and I certainly haven't. I, I don't even know if I've seen the whole thing. So it was cool to just, you know, sit down and check it out in a hot summer afternoon or evening, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess like you, you don't seem to have that much affection for the film, but like what mm-hmm. motivated you to go check out the screen? I. I mean, uh, I just try to go to these revival screenings when I can. And, yeah. uh, you know, Spike Lee is local. So, like, he is he is at BAM quite a bit. I did see – I saw Do the Right Thing with him and pretty much the entire cast there for uh, one of the anniversaries a couple of years ago. And that was fantastic. And when they have, like, a big panel like that, it is uh, – you know, it's just really cool and to soak it in because there is so much, like, cinema history here in New York. And I just like to remind myself of that. That's all. All right. Well, that's Summer of Sam – uh, Divinger is not so hot on it, but it is the 1990 film, uh, 1999 Spike Lee film about the uh, Son of Sam serial murders. Uh, okay. Um, wait, wait, can I mention one more thing? Yeah, please. Uh, I also saw Bloodsport this week. And do you guys remember Bloodsport? Well, yeah. Come I mean, on. We, we were just talking about Blockbuster Video and yeah. VHS. Were you, so, yeah. Yeah. were you alive in the 80s and the 90s? You remember Bloodsport. I grew up loving this movie, and uh, I just kind of had the urge to uh, to rewatch it. I think I retweeted a really uh, funny GIF comparison of The Dark Knight Rises and the Bloodsport's uh, fight scenes. And I was just like, man, Bloodsport just did this a lot better. So I, I threw on Bloodsport. And I have Bloodsport on a Blu-ray that's also a combo Blu-ray of Time Cop. So I'm looking forward to seeing that <laughs> at some point. That was a quality purchase. Wow. Bloodsport um, and Time Cop, because Bloodsport we can't sell Cop. either of these individually. <laughs> they got to do it. But uh, Jeff, you know, it was really no, fun. No, 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 no. Jeff, you yeah. will not disparage Bloodsport and Time Cop offhandedly, okay? What was yes. it? What yes. other motivation would there be other than selling them? <laughs> Are you familiar with the concept, two great tastes that go great together, Jeff? Oh, this is I true. see. It's like Lyman. movie sandwich, yeah. I see. All right. Yeah, but uh, the same, yeah, same matter back. cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Okay, Jeff, <laughs> put that out there. All right, sorry, put that out there. It is a lot of fun. It is it is a lot of fun rewatching Bloodsport. Uh, um, certainly, some aspects of this movie don't hold up. There's a uh, there's a woman reporter in this movie that is treated like garbage and just doesn't really get that much to do. Unfortunately, uh, but it's really interesting to go back and watch this movie and see Van Damme just be like giving his all and really trying hard, like channeling, trying to be like Bruce Lee at certain points and just trying to like, you know, he knows this is his moment and he can't screw it up. 
And, uh, you know, after that, like, then we got things like the Street Fighter movie. And then we got, like, a lot of really bad movies. And then, like, things went downhill for him. But it was really cool to see him in his young glory. And uh, young Forrest Whitaker as well. have to say the fight scenes and a lot of the composition of this movie, I think, is really well done. Like, there's a lot of great widescreen framing. Just because um, if you're going to have Van Damme split on two chairs, you got you to shoot it wide. Right. There's no there's no close up there. You got to you got to yeah. go wide. This ain't no so, portrait like, mode. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, there's that lovely shot of him. Like, I believe it's like in a temple above Hong Kong, just full split, just like ready yeah. to ready to take on the entire city with his groin. Um, wonderful <laughs> shot. And I think a lot of things like the a lot of the choreography in this movie still looks good. Uh, it is so relentlessly 80s. It kind of makes me miss the days when we had. Uh, music that described exactly what was happening in our main character's <laughs> lives. Like, you know, like all those things. Like, it's so kitschy. It is so perfectly 80s. Doing a, a good podcast movie. about some movies. Exactly. They're going to say opinions. Exactly. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. It is nice to go back to that. And uh, yeah, I, I think this movie holds up in a fun way. It's certainly not a good movie, but I'm glad I saw it. And I have to say, I didn't really plan this, but this was a Hong Kong movie, like a movie set in Hong Kong the day before I saw Skyscraper. And uh, personally, I think it's a much better Hong Kong movie. Mm. Uh, Bloodsport is the movie you're talking about. Directed by Newt Arnold, who uh, that was the last film he ever directed. He went on to first AD uh, a bunch of other films, including movies like A Simple Plan, A Walk in the Clouds, Last Action Hero. Um, But yeah, last movie he directed. And uh, it is a movie that is like kind of revered as like a great stereotypical late 80s movie with John Clef and mm-hmm. so um, it, 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 I think it has to the test of time um, <clears throat> so that's Bloodsport that's what they've been watching speaking of older movies I made this tweet recently and I stand by it on my Twitter account at Dave Chensky where I said in my head canon uh, the only Die Hard movies are Die Hard and Die Hard with a Vengeance um, so th- there's been a bunch of celebrating of anniversaries I think it's Die Hard 1's 30th anniversary this week, also, it's the Dark Knight's tenth anniversary this week. Mm-hmm. Plus, Skyscraper is out in theaters, and so people are comparing that to Die Hard because they both take place in a building and so on. And so uh, forth. There, there are quite a few similarities, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, let me ask you this weird question, guys. What was your first Die Hard movie? Was it Die Hard One? Is that the oh, first yeah. Die Hard movie you saw? Yes, Devendra. I don't remember. Because honestly, it was just like a jumble of whatever was on cable mm. uh, in the 90s. So it could have been Die Hard 2, for all I remember. My first yeah. Die Hard movie was Die Hard with a Vengeance. Wow. Uh, and yeah. I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't need to. First of all, I knew I didn't need to rewatch Die Hard because I've seen that movie a bunch of times and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's classic. It's great. There's no. We actually had a great Near piece perfect. at slashfilm.com this week featuring a, a friend of the show, Dan Trachtenberg. Uh, talking about like how Die Hard has influenced them, I'd recommend you check that out. Uh, ben Pearson put that together; it's an awesome piece. But uh, so I knew I, I know like Die Hard's place in the canon and in my heart is unassailable. But I hadn't watched Die Hard of the Vengeance in a while, and it was the first Die Hard movie I saw, and I loved it when I saw it, and I watched it again. And guys, this movie's still awesome, um, and so I good. I like it much better than than Die Dude. Hard Two. You know, that would be the franchise to do like we did Mission Impossible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, Except, I, I think it would be a lot less interesting, honestly, because there are two good ones. <laughs> well, we just <laughs> stop at we just don't do the last couple. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Live Free or Die Hard has its moments. It has um, its moments. And honestly, I don't know. I saw people uh, standing for Die Hard 2 
on Twitter this week, and I don't know what these people are smoking. I I tell oh, you, I man. still like Die Hard too. That movie is so bad. Like it, it's fine, I guess, if you just want to watch a big dumb action movie, perfectly fine. If you watch the first Die Hard and then you watch Die Hard two, and you're like, they, it's the same movie, just dumber. And yeah. at that point, then yeah, that's tough to take. Yeah, you know, I I'm not gonna say it's it's as good as one or three, but it, it I have a soft spot in my heart for it still. Yeah, Die Hard Two does have some advantages, right? It has Bonnie Bedelia, it has yeah. Al Powell, you know, Al Powell, the character Al Powell in it, uh, and so it, it feels like a direct continuation of the first one in a way that Die Hard of the Vengeance doesn't. As many people may know, yeah. Die Hard of the Vengeance was originally not a Die Hard film. It was originally right. a uh, thriller written by Jonathan Hensley uh, called Simon Says, mm-hmm. and they adapted it to be a Die Hard film. And I think it's probably one of the best examples. Uh, you know, right up there with like Ten Cloverfield Lane of a movie that uh, started <laughs> life as not a uh, movie in that franchise that was then adapted to be a movie in that franchise. Um, I think it's extremely successful. Uh, Jeremy Irons is awesome in that movie. There's just yeah. so many great sequences. Um, when I remember taking a writing class when I was in middle school, <laughs> and that movie's opening was held up as a example of how to get people's attention you know mm-hmm. like when you're writing a short story or something you want to like grab people immediately and uh die hard of the vengeance certainly does that so anyway Listen, i gotta rewatch that I w- it would be fun to do that series that would be a fun series of re- that, to watch yeah, it would again. be fun it would just be like we know which ones are good i guess but, <laughs> true uh, we, yeah. we would fight over two like I, i'm thinking about the uh, die hard two right now and that it is the speed to cruise control <laughs> of you know, the Die Hard series. Like, <laughs> boats don't go fast. What are you, you... You're gonna have a fast movie in a, on a boat? No, that doesn't well, work. Meanwhile, Die be, Hard in an airport. It can't um, be the okay. Speed 2 unless it's not Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think where Die Hard 2 really falls apart for me, uh, apart from, like, the action being just not as interesting as Die Hard 1 or even Die Hard 3, is it really, in my opinion, makes John McClane into a deeply unlikable character. Like that's that was my reaction to it yeah. was he is taking steps that like actively jeopardize people's lives in ways that aren't smart um, to me in a way that like the first guy like the guy in the first movie was um, pretty careful about that. So anyway, the the again these movies aren't fresh in my mind, so forgive my forgive that me this this is a, yeah. a you know general feelings that I have from years ago. But um, what I liked about two was that it continued the sort of fantasy of what would you do in this place? Mm-hmm. This right. place, how do you survive in this place? And what if, what if the shit hits the fan in this kind of place? How do you manage that? And how do you turn this public place that we all have been to and we all go to all the time into an, an action location? And I, I just find that, you know, there, for many years there was Die Hard in a blank, uh, and you know, Die Hard on a boat, Die Hard in a whatever. And I, I've always thought that was cool, and I thought three kind of cheated in the sense that it didn't. It was like Die Hard in a city, I guess. Die Hard the in thing. New York, man, New York. Yeah. yeah, that's all you need. But I don't know I like the the claustrophobia of that. I like mm-hmm. the the feeling of isolation. Like, okay, you're in an airport. What if the airport goes bad? You can't leave the airport. You got you know people in the air. Uh, that you're worried about at the same time. I, I just, I liked pr- premise wise. It, it was fun for me. 
Well, in any case, uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you guys shortly about how Skyscraper, Skyscraper compares with uh, the Die Hard franchise because it is, is clearly inspired by, by that series of films. But Die Hard with a Vengeance, still an awesome movie. And in terms of what else I've been watching this week, I wanted to give a shout-out to Sasha Baron Cohen's newest series, Who is America? Have you guys seen the clip that went viral this week from Who is America, mm-hmm. like the, the gun s- sequence? Yes. It's basic, so Who is America is basically Sasha Baron Cohen going around, uh, you know. To, like, he figured out a way to do it again. He figured out a way to do it again, and it turns out the answer is with extremely different characters and heavy prosthetics so that he's completely unrecognizable. So and he's created – don't yep. you feel like if you, if you sat next to somebody that was wearing heavy prosthetics, you would know it? You feel like that. That's part of like right. the that's part of the smug satisfaction of watching the show. Is you're like, I would never be duped like you know, right. like These people on the show are also he's incapable of not doing the hand motions that are Sasha Baron Cohen's <laughs> hand motions. Indeed, so, indeed. Anyway, it is a really fascinating show, um, and I'll, I'll just say a couple quick things about it. So again, this is Who Is America? It's on Showtime. Uh, so Sasha Baron Cohen got me to pay for a Showtime subscription this month. Uh, and it, it's fascinating for a few reasons. First of all, we live in a crazy time, gentlemen. Um, we live in a time where uh, the legitimacy of the media is questioned on a daily basis uh, by the you know commander-in-chief of the United States of America. And... Uh, that's just uh, you know not a time that I, I don't think any of us ever thought we'd live in. And into this sort of fraught situation walks Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, essentially using all kinds of deception to get powerful, influential people to say and do stupid things. And how you read that is going to heavily depend on, I think, your political persuasion. You know, Theoretically, the show takes on both liberals and conservatives. Um, Bernie Sanders is the very first interview that is done on Who is America. Uh, but Bernie Sanders comes out looking pretty reasonable in, in this episode. Uh, meanwhile, a bunch of the conservative interviewees um, do not come out looking very reasonable. And I, I think like your, your lens on the show is deeply going to impact whether you think what he's doing is worthwhile. Uh, over at Vox.com, Aja Romano uh, writes uh, in the title of this article, quote, Sasha Baron Cohen's political provocations are exhausting and dangerous, end quote. You know, that's the title of the article. And she kind of kind of goes on to establish that, like, yeah, that, that during this time when media legitimacy is so in a, in a precarious state, this is like, you know, lighting a match to this powder keg, you know, this Sasha Baron Cohen show. Um, meanwhile, other people chime in and uh, like I really enjoyed Jen Cheney's review over at Vulture where she she basically is like uh, this is a this is kind of like the the thing that we we deserve. Like we finally have um here, here, here I'll, I'll quote from the end of this article here. Quote, doing what Sasha Baron Cohen is trying to do in this fraught climate is really tricky, and my instinct tells me it won't work more often than it does. Still, as a viewer who senses that the standard attempts to poke fun at our Trumpian political culture already feel played out, I'm intrigued to watch how he navigates this minefield. Who is America is on point, as it is in the kill or be killed segment, the gun segment from the first episode. It doesn't rem- just remind us. That- this is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favorite shows 
and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First-time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winker. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out... Who exploded Vivian Stone? Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Some of our emperors have no clothes. It exposes them for walking around naked with no sense of shame whatsoever, end quote. I mean, we finally have someone who is able to take on the conservatives, uh, like people like... Alex Jones or whatever, take them on at their own game and come out on top. Uh, and that's I, a really interesting – makes for an interesting dynamic. Okay. Sorry. I've been going on for a while. Jeff, what were you going to say? No, 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 no. I didn't mean to cut you off. I think you're making solid points. I, I, I would put a – having not seen the full episode yet, I, I, I would – conceptually, I would put a finer point on some of the things you're touching on lightly, which is we live in a world where – context is being de-emphasized more and more it's it's being lost and it doesn't context doesn't matter nuance doesn't matter and what sasha baron cohen is doing here is creating extreme amounts of context for the participants and then stripping those away for the viewers yes so he creates wildly elaborate pretext for why someone would sit down, why they would say these insanely insane things, and then only shows to the audience the snippet of the insane thing said without context. And what is so what feels so dishonest about all of that is the same thing that feels dishonest about a, a, a two second clip of some person saying some stupid thing where before and after it gives it meaning. And and that unfortunately is what happens all the time on places like Fox News and elsewhere, where it's it's an it is a uh, there's an axe to grind and there is a clear intent and it is not about reporting factual information or uh, delivering a um, non a a point of view without perspective, right? It's not it's not trying to be even handed. It's trying to make a case and it's using plucked moments to make that case. And that's exactly what Sasha Baron Cohen is doing. So it feels a little gross. It feels a little skludgy, right? To be like, oh yeah, now he's doing it to those guys. But it's like, but we can't, I, I find it hard to revel in their defeat or revel in the nonsense that is put into their mouths because the methodology doesn't actually represent something they believe. It It is embarrassing and should be embarrassing for for someone like joe walsh to sit in front of a camera and say we should arm kindergartners yeah and, and just so people understand like at the end of the first episode he gets a lot of uh, you know respected people in the conservative establishment to advocate for a program for arming children right in classrooms right. 
and uh, a lot of those people have come out and said like I was tricked like he made they they asked me to read you know 50 things and in the middle of the 50 things was this one ridiculous thing that they then took and then put into this program right and not only that they told them they were being honored by this society they they, yeah. they are a lab elaborate means of duping people and it's it's not simply uh, a straight up ask them a question and they answer it in a way that's embarrassing to them it is a means of entrapment quite yeah. frankly and and while there is some uh schadenfreude to that yeah uh that is very enjoyable and it's and 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 i will say, and i'm not trying to excuse them because i will say they shouldn't you should always not fall for that, right? You should always have the integrity <laughs> to not fall for that. Yeah, integrity. You, you yes. should you should have the integrity to not be filmed saying something that you really don't believe in. Right? Correct. That, Correct. That is that is so, the baseline that you expect from people. Yeah. There is no there is no amount of explanation. There is no amount of I've been duped that should lead to you as especially as a public <laughs> uh, elected public official saying something that you categorically don't agree with, right? There, there, you should never be able to be brought to that point. And yet I still feel a little gross knowing how that was brought about because it isn't revealing what it purports to reveal. Right. It, it, it's not necessarily an indictment of these people's horrible beliefs. It's more an indictment of their, you know, something else. Their gullibility. Gullibility, their their desire to receive the kind of award or honor, you know, right. their their willingness to do things in the furtherance of like receiving some kind of award or some kind of honor uh, or some kind of notoriety or fame being part of this program. You know, it it, it doesn't Or really, even just like get yeah. this guy to leave. Just like say what he, I need to say. And, yeah. You know, there's a lot of those things in the moment when you're in a room with a, a very odd character. And it, there's – listen, I, like I said, I'm not trying to make excuses for these people because I do believe, as we've said, you shouldn't ever say things you don't believe in. But it just feels like – this yeah. gotcha thing that that isn't good on either side. He's as you you put it really well, Jeff. He weaponizes this kind of lack of context, right, and and right. uses it to take these people down. And uh, yeah, it does, it's not really an indictment of the things that it, it purports to indict. And I, I agree with you on that. We should also point out that like when you watch Borat or when you watch Who Is America, uh, you know, the, theoretically these shows are kind of humiliating the people that are unwitting subjects of it. But I come away from these shows really impressed by America, and not not that gun part. Obviously, that part's horrible. I'm talking about like when he kind of uh, deceives everyday people, you know, with his uh, with his schemes, and people are just always so like. What's funny about watching it is like people are so extraordinarily patient. Right. Yeah. Like Borat's acting all weird and like people are trying to be nice and maybe they reveal their ignorance of uh, other countries. But like fundamentally, they're trying to be accommodating and and not judge. And that's the the hardest part of all this stuff is that when he does get people, especially average people, it almost always comes from a place of them trying to be nice. Right. And and, and almost not all all the time. There are like some really legitimately terrible people that he does. Sure. Entrap. But. But there are also plenty of people that are just like nice people trying to like be nice to him, and right. um, yeah, and if he like, <laughs> it feels it's weird. Like, oh, it feels people dumb. aren't yeah. cynical enough to be on to you. Like, oh, I guess you got them. You yeah. know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
this show is fascinating because we are like when Ollie G show came out, you know, people weren't like the, the people in the show weren't releasing statements weeks in advance of the show airing to get ahead of it. Right. No one really gave a crap back then. Um, but now we see like all these people are coming forward like, Hey, like they tricked me. They got me like before the show is even out before the episode is even out. Um, I think we're, we're, it's really fascinating to see how different of an age we are in today. Uh, where like they know this stuff is going to go viral and it did and it's going to continue going viral. So, um, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, but yeah. Uh, I have to say, did you, did you guys see like the Helsinki summit? This week, I do, I do feel like yeah. this show is is would would have been great last year, maybe. Whereas now we are in such an era of insanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. like Donald Trump is- defending Putin after spending two hours alone with him. Yeah. Like uh, Sasha Baron Cohen couldn't have done that. Like, just saying, Sasha Baron Cohen wouldn't not say it. <laughs> is what? Yes. He wished he meant to say he wouldn't not be Borat. Yeah. Interestingly, um, I, you, you know, you say that, Devin but interestingly, uh, Donald Trump was one of the only people interviewed by Ollie G uh, who actually understood that Ollie G was full of crap and got oh, yeah. up and left his interview because halfway he, through. He could, it's like they're playing the same game. He <laughs> yeah, recognizes say, that. Game, like, game recognized game. He takes one to no one. He actually, uh, Donald Trump actually bragged on Twitter about the fact that he was the only one that, like, one of the only ones that knew it was a complete scam. So Yeah, he only yeah. gets duped by Kim Jong-il. That's the only person <laughs> gets That's his modern-day thing now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Before we get to our review of Skyscraper tonight, we've got to thank all the people that donated to the show this week. Uh, Kyle S. from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and uh, Pappy in Dallas donated to the show if you ever want to support what we're doing here on the podcast and help us defray the cost of seeing movies uh go to paypal.me slash filmcast that's paypal.me slash the word filmcast you can also go to slash film.com click on the slash filmcast tab use the paypal links on the side of the page um we should point out that pappy in dallas is on a uh, a fright on a frighteningly persistent mission to convince jeff canada to watch (laughs) the show preacher on amc uh, and we say frightening because uh, this guy has – I mean he's done – I'm just going to put out there borderline creepy things <laughs> to, get Jeff, to get Jeff to watch Preacher on AMC. Because I think there's a big question of like Preacher is one of Jeff's favorite properties. There's an AMC show about it. Uh, it's, it has talented showrunners behind it. Why wouldn't Jeff Kanata want to watch Preacher? Right. It, it's a legitimate question, Jeff. It is a legitimate question. Yes, it is a legitimate question. And I would say, you, you say he's done borderline creepy things. Uh, that does not include donating to our show. That is not Correct. a creepy thing. Correct. That, is, uh, that is actually a delightful thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and shows just how desperate Poppy, Pappy, excuse me, is. Uh, Cre- creepy uh, is starting a Twitter account dedicated to monitoring yeah. whether or not Jeff has watched Preacher or not. Yes. That, yes, that's that is kind ongoing. of going. That's that's a multi year long endeavor, by the way. That didn't just start. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, <sighs> Pappy, I appreciate it, buddy. And uh, now that you've monetarily donated to the show, uh, <laughs> I feel a certain responsibility. Um, although two thirds of the money you donated isn't going to me, so no, we hmm. can we can give this all to you, Jeff. This is oh. this is. Uh, for okay. uh, he he donated enough for a one month subscription to Hulu, commercial free. Oh my goodness! Uh, I'm, I'm okay transferring that straight to you, man. Oh my goodness! 
Um, I guess I got to do it now. I guess I got to watch Preacher. So the question is, why haven't I watched Preacher yet? Uh, and I think I've answered that before on the show, mm-hmm. but I will reiterate uh, for Pappy and others that may be curious. Um, Preacher is my favorite comic book series of all time. I I really enjoyed, uh, for example, the novel Time Traveler's Wife. Have not seen the film. Uh, I heard the film was terrible. Didn't decide decided not to go see it. Didn't, didn't need didn't had the perfect thing in my head of what that w- experience was. Uh, I enjoyed the the novel The Circle. I enjoyed it. My wife and I both read it. We talked about it at length. We we got something positive out of it. I heard the film starring Tom Hanks. Not good. Didn't see it. Now you say, but people say Preacher is very good. Okay, but guess what's in my mind and on the page and in my bookshelf. The perfect version of Preacher. I don't need it to be a television show for me to love it. What Pappy and others have uh, said many, many times is that is actually additive. This one is not just a pure adaptation of of the source material. It actually is additive and fills out things and is uh, people that love the comic will love the show. And I have been reluctant to break through my hesitation on that. So maybe I need to, maybe I need to give it a shot, but, uh, I, I'm one of those people that like, I don't, I, Oh, I like the dark tower. Didn't see the dark tower movie. Have no plans to ever see the dark tower. Yeah, movie. That's probably oh, a good idea. That's pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. 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 So like I, yeah. the things that I like, I don't necessarily need to see them in all the iterations. If I enjoy the, the source material, I, they're fine. They're fine. So yeah, Maybe I'm inconsistent because I also, you know, I like the Watchmen movie and I like, there's a lot of things that I like adapt that I've, you know, like, but, um, this particular one, it just felt like I don't need, I don't need that. But now that I have this free month of Hulu, perhaps, uh, I need to, I need to, it's, it's really your time that's, that's, you know, valueless, Jeff, you know, I mean, it's the money it is, that. It, it is a very good pilot, so you could just watch that and be done. But here's the thing. I worry for Pappy and everybody else clamoring for this. Uh, what if Jeff just hates it and then, like, we're just going to watch your heartbreak in slow motion? This is a be careful you know, like, what you wish for yeah, situation. Be careful what you wish exactly. for. I think it'll be a good object lesson for our listeners. Uh, well, well, I'll Jeff, tell you, yeah, go ahead. During, the, during the Totally Rad show, uh, the first uh, couple of years we were doing the Totally Rad show, uh, um, maybe people who are listening may even remember I would not shut up about The Shield. Uh, which I refer to consistently as the best show ever, and vowed to bring it up in every episode of the Totally Rad Show until Dan and Alex watched it because they hadn't mm. seen any episodes. And I thought at that time, and again, 2007, uh, best show ever. And uh, uh, they finally watched it and both of them hated it. Mm. And I feel like it was because I was setting myself up for fail. Like right, They right. were so mad at me for not shutting up about it that they were just not going to like it. You know, yeah, you know, yeah. And now, you know, it's Pat- like how Dave will never love Firefly. Right. <laughs> this is true. This is true. And I don't bring it up all the time. Right. Uh, I did buy it for Dave years ago and it just sits there somewhere in his bookshelf. Uh, I have to say, like, uh, listeners, we, uh, you know, we hand out recommendations all the time to friends and family. I found the best way to do it is just to, like, incept you know, the idea <laughs> of something in there. Yeah. Uh, but forcing is never, never going to work. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Your brain is inherently contrarian, right? It says, oh, you want me to, you, you're forcing me to like this. I will. Then I will not. Mm. Uh, but I, I will try to have an open mind, Pappy. And I appreciate the donation. 
Well, Jeff, the $12 that Pappy donated has now been Venmoed to you. So oh my God. ball is in your court. I feel like you're on Pappy's side on this one, Dave. Um, I just think when people donate money, whether it's for Hulu subscriptions or unpaid parking tickets, the money should go straight <laughs> to the people who are there for. So, Fair All right, enough. let's get to our review of Skyscraper. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Just a little nervous. Well, you look very handsome. I just don't want to screw it up, you know? You have been preparing for this meeting for six months. You've got this. Let me ask you guys a question. Daddy loves who? Me. Daddy loves who? Me! Me! Exactly. Daddy's going to go make that bacon. Gross. Mr. Sawyer, is your family enjoying their stay? Very much so. They're shocked you gave us the entire floor. After your security assessment, what do you think of the building? With all due respect, he's a glorified security guard. Please. The Pearl is the tallest, most advanced building in the world. You've built a vertical city, but you've brought with it every single safety and security challenge that I could think of. We thought this floor was empty. So did I. Not only have you brought them all indoors, but you've trapped them 240 floors in the air. No one really knows what would happen if things go wrong. But I'm just a glorified security guard, so what the hell do I know anyway? That was from the trailer for Skyscraper, the newest film by Rawson Marshall Thurber. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A father goes to great lengths to save his family from a burning skyscraper. They went great lengths and not great heights? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's an extremely extremely simplistic plot summary. (laughs) that uh, That is the movie. Ross Marshall Thurber, uh, by the way, super talented guy, um, directed Central Intelligence. Director of Dodgeball, which I love. Dodgeball, fun movie, Central Intelligence, big hit in 2016. Uh, We're the Millers, also surprisingly huge hit in 2013. Uh, So, talented guy, fan of this guy. But I I do have to say, guys, um, this movie completely broke my heart. It has anni- it basically yeah. has annihilated my chances of winning the summer movie wager. Um, <laughs> oh, that's why. Okay, because I ranked it as like I think it was like number eight or something like that. Like I ranked it up there, and it tanked opening weekend. It got like twenty five million dollars. It's it's not even going to reach a hundred million. It's, I, it's I, almost like everyone else <laughs> predicted that. <laughs> I remember. You, well, Dave, you were sharing this article saying skyscraper could be the biggest hit of the summer <laughs> or something. <laughs> I just felt so bad for you, man. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um Yeah, I I I uh it's just de- first of all, <laughs> really? the, the article by the way was in uh <laughs> uh I think it was from Forbes. It was our friend of the show Scott Mendelson saying like Sk- skyscraper aims to be 2018's biggest original live action hit. Uh, you got spend- some words with Scott now. Yeah, I know. It's like I mean- this this really came out of left field for you, Dave, if everybody else was staring at left field. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Jeff, gonna to, to quote a to quote a great man, aka Jeff Kanata, gotta swing for the fences, boys. You know, <laughs> yeah. you gotta. You, you, sometimes you just gotta put yourself out there and be like, I'm gonna choose something no one else is gonna choose, right? Because yeah, th- th- that is how you know. You know, to quote a, that's to how quote, I got on the poo train. <laughs> to quote a to quote a poker maxim: In order to live, you need to be willing to die. You know, <laughs> just gonna put that out there. Yeah. Okay. Skyscraper, Jeff Kanata, what did you think? Uh, this movie's terrible. <laughs> terrible. Um, I, if it's not been made clear in many, many episodes of the show, I love Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I love him. I love him. 
And uh, I, I was a WWE fan in the Attitude Era. I grew up with uh, Rocky Mavia, and I, you know, like I watched him become uh, the the greatest superstar, the legend, the immortal, the Rock. And I saw him trans transition into films and become America's sweetheart. And I love him. And the the fact that this guy can be in so many bad movies and still be so beloved is just a testament to his, to his innate charm. Yeah. And, and I will say he is great in this movie. He is great. He is acting his ass off and no one told him he was in a bad movie. He is grounded and real and genuine and plays every scene. Like it's an Oscar caliber performance. And I just find it so sad that no one let him in on the fact that this is a goofy schlocky B list (laughs) C list movie because he could have been having way more fun and it would have been fine, but he's not, he thinks he's in die hard or, or whatever. Uh, and it's a shame. I mean, I kind of I actually kind of love that about this movie. I kind of love that about him that he is he is like I'm playing a a guy with a with a disability and I, I you know, and I'm going to embrace that. I'm going to give him dignity and I'm going to give him pathos and love for his family and I'm going to just ground everything. I mean, he's great. He's great. But the movie gives him nothing fun to do. Nothing fun to do the biggest crime this movie commits is that you are giving us a, a, an excuse to just have a wacky fun time in the theater and nothing at all fun happens there is no memorable scene i guess i guess the only memorable scene is is leaping from the uh the crane but that's the poster for the movie <laughs> so there's no there's no a moment of being able to even enjoy that because that's the only obvious thing that we know is coming. Right. So we don't even get that vicarious thrill of, of leaping off of a crane because literally that's the only reason we showed up. Uh, there has to be something else. And there are, uh, there are other sequences in this movie. None of them are clever. None of them are inventive. None of them demonstrate the ingenuity or bravery of our hero they are they all feel really rote and boring and the least interesting way of going about that kind of thing and it, it's it's a shame because this could have been really fun and it's not i have so much to say in spoilers but i i couldn't have been it's just ridiculously unfun and in in inside a movie that we're all geared up and teamed up to to have fun in. Mm-hmm. your hardware. What did you think of Skyscraper? <laughs> so first of all, this movie should have been called Rock Hard, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, guys, right? I, yeah, I thought of a better hard. title. I thought it should have been called Try Hard. Get uh, it? Try hard? hard. Yeah, but that's also every other Die Hard sequel, Try I hard. guess. Okay. Try Hard. No, um, Sky Hard. Nothing. Sky Hard. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter suggested Die Scraper, which I would also accept. <laughs> That's a good title. Um, but yeah, this movie, um, it's not good. But I think worse than that, it is, li- like everything you're saying, Jeff, it is boring. Like, how do you how do you take all these elements and just have no fun with it? I look at a movie like Triple uh, X 3 
And that movie knows what the fuck it is. That movie <laughs> knows exactly what to do. And it's like, it's living it up. It's having as much fun as it can with that premise and those characters and the insanity of it all. And this movie, it's not like, it's not, I, I wouldn't say it's terrible. I do think like, uh, it's a, it's a simple, you know, to buy the numbers, save your family construct, the action, you can actually see it. It's just kind of unmemorable and the choreography isn't that great. But I think like there's some decent style to what uh, Ross and Marshall Thurber is doing. Uh, but it is just so boring. Like, I actually think this movie would have been more interesting if it were a worse movie. Like if it were right. a genuinely bad movie that you could actually just kind of have fun with because, yeah, I guess The Rock just commits so much that you're also trying to take it seriously. And uh, that just doesn't quite work for me. Uh, a couple of nice things, though. It is nice to see Nev Campbell uh you know in like action hero mode that's kind of nice and um yeah she does not she does not play a damsel in distress in this film yeah and and it is interesting to me like uh this is kind of one of the movies that brought her back you know what i mean it just this yeah it it just is kind of like interesting because she she kind of like uh took a break from hollywood for a bit right and And she was in house of cards i think for a couple years yeah right but um you know, she didn't. She didn't act in that many films, mm-hmm. um, and it just. You know, I'm kind of struggling to see like what is the thing about this movie that made her want to be in it. Yeah. You know, maybe it could be like the tough mama aspect of it. Like, you know, this is it. It is really a movie about like you know these parents trying to save their kids, right? In a increasingly uh, ludicrous. <laughs> premise this entire thing but anyway I, I would say the best thing about this movie is the way it handles um the rocks character's disability and uh Kristen lopez over over at uh, slash film wrote a great piece about that called skyscraper is a surprising mark of improvement for disabled representation on the big screen and i do like that like i do like the way it's presented um you know in an early scene uh he's you know I, I guess he's what a swat team guy or something he's a tactical guy uh bomb you know a bomb goes off he loses his leg and the movie it's presented as just like another fact of life right he wears it it doesn't like slow him down it doesn't really hinder him it's just a part of his life and in certain ways like it becomes like a thing that literally saves him and you know it's kind of super heroic in that way but i think it's just nice to see it's nice to see the rock kind of representing that uh but beyond that yeah there this movie's got nothing that was a great piece by Kristen Lopez over at SlashFilm.com. I should point out that uh, Katie Sullivan over at Deadline also wrote a piece uh, entitled Paralympian Actress Katie Sullivan Chides Dwayne Johnson for Playing Amputee in Skyscraper. Um, and so there, there is another perspective that's like uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson should not have played an amputee. Like that, you know, disabled people should be played by people who have those disabilities. Um, so I just want to point out that like that dialogue is taking place um and and both pieces are are worth reading and considering let's get to spoilers for skyscraper starting right now now you're looking for the secret you're trying to see this coming no but you won't find it because of course you're not going to see this coming you're not really looking i have been puzzling over how it works you don't really want to work it out who's in the box i have been dying to tell you i want to tell you my secret you want to be fooled Guys, I want to share my thoughts on what it takes to make a good diehard clone. Okay. I think you need a few ingredients. First of all, you need a relatable everyman, right? You need someone like Bruce Willis, who apparently at that time, you know, I, I wasn't uh, really uh, conscious of what 
Bruce Willis's place in pop culture was at the time that Die Hard came out. But apparently he was known primarily as like a comedy actor, right? Yeah, Moonlighting, Moonlighting yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the idea that he would be in an action movie was kind of laughable. Um, and he doesn't – he has a very, let's just say, achievable physique um, for anyone who wants to be uh, an action yeah. star. Peak dad bod, um, yeah. Peak dad bod. Uh, and yeah, you, you need a relatable everyman. I, Dwayne The Rock Johnson is many things. He's extremely charismatic. Uh, he's extremely aspirational in terms of his physique. Uh, he clearly has a deep-seated love of family as evidenced by his roles in movies like San Andreas where he drops everything to find his family or movies like Skyscraper where he drops everything to find his family or movies <laughs> or like Rampage. the Fast and series, yeah. also hashtag family. Yeah, yeah. or you know, or, Rampage where all he cares about is his, his uh, <laughs> friend slash family slash that gorilla who's been infected with that alien stuff. Um, <laughs> or the Tooth Fairy, if you're getting the Tooth Fairy. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go, there you go. Um, and he, so Dwayne The Rock Johnson is many things, but he is not a relatable everyman. I don't think you watch this guy and you think, wow, I don't know who's going to triumph here. Dwayne The Rock Johnson or any other people, <laughs> you know? Uh, so <laughs> I think that on that level, the movie does not achieve diehard status. Here's another thing that I think a movie needs to be a, a proper diehard clone is, uh, stunts that actually look like they were dangerous. Uh, you know, I, I believe they actually blew up Nakatomi Tower in Die Hard 1, or uh, I believe it's actually the Fox building, right, in L.A.? Yeah. Um, that stands in for Nakatomi Tower. Like, I believe they actually had an explosion there. I don't know that Bruce Willis actually jumped off the edge of it, but I know that they, they did something practical there. Here, this movie, right out the gate, is <laughs> a, in a bad situation because you know that it's a fictional skyscraper and that it's all in computers, right? So, so yeah. automatically right. your brain is like, nothing is real. And yeah, the building <laughs> defies any sense of reality just in and of itself. Yeah. If they did it this at the true. Burj Khalifa or something like Mission right. Impossible 4 style, then you might be like, oh, wow, maybe they actually did something at this building. It's a thing. You know? well, you by, also- by the way, by the, way the, the, intro- the introduction of the buildings was such a international dick measuring contest. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, hilarious, right? right? Like, <laughs> it's bigger than the Empire State Building. It's big, bigger, bigger than, than the Burj Khalifa. Khalifa. Yeah. yeah, it's so big. Look at this phallic symbol, everybody. Yeah, it, it this watching this movie redoubled my appreciation and admiration for what Tom Cruise is willing to do for my entertainment. Right. Because there is that moment when The Rock is on the outside of this building, which of course there is. Uh, but – just the fact that I knew that Tom Cruise was literally on the outside of that building and it was a real building that I could go visit theoretically yeah, does so much for heightening that sequence. I mean, it's also shot better, executed better, conceived better, everything. <laughs> but like seeing The Rock pretend on a green screen, uh, you know, it, it is – it's extraordinary. And Tom Cruise recognizes that. He's like, no, I need to actually do this or it's meaningless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And finally, guys, I think in order to have a good diehard clone, you got to have a great villain. Got to have a great villain, right? Mm -hmm. And Alan Rickman, one of the best villain performances of all time. And the thing is, that dude wasn't even motivated by anything else other than greed, right? He didn't have any ideological bent that he is trying to communicate you know all he wanted he he is an exceptional thief i think is what he calls himself in that movie he has personality yeah he's got personality one an indelible performance by one of the great performers of our time 
this movie has like three pretty weak sauce uh, villains, right? Kind you of a mix of the European three. Guy. Yeah, you, you got Noah Taylor playing Mr. Pierce. Who? Why? Why are you having Noah Taylor playing a non-villain character in this? Or 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 or, or, or who do you think you're fooling when you introduce him as a non-villain character? Well, the thankfully, man who plays Hitler. On Preacher, yes. What do we expect to see him as? I, I wouldn't know. But also, um, <laughs> the, 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 thankfully, they spend zero time putting off his betrayal. It, like, yeah. it's, it's yeah. almost instantaneous. So. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you have the other, char- the, other, the other villains that, like, are barely more, you know, memorable uh, than that, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, there's that uh, Asian woman who's like so badass that she's offing dudes indiscriminately. Yeah. The guy, the guy's like, "Hey, um, I've programmed it so that only I can crack the code." And she's like, "Well, too bad. I'm gonna kill you anyway." You know, it's so. She flat. didn't even have a cool line. Like, I feel like if you're doing this movie, have a have a good line. Mm. Like, oh, come on. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty disappointing. Uh, this movie is- it's basically uh, uh, Chinese co-financing the movie, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look what we can do. Our our tower is very big. I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it out there, guys, that it, it is a thrill to me as an Asian person um, of Chinese descent to see like a, a major summer blockbuster where there's a bunch of Chinese people yeah. speaking Chinese. You know? Yeah, uh, but. Oh, what did the what did the what did the Hong Kong Police Department do in this movie exactly? They, <laughs> They much. sit in a room and then they yeah. listen to the white lady tell them all the stuff that they should. Oh yeah, no, it sounds like she's got it right. Hmm. Oh, oh yeah. guys, guys, uh, guys! I had this amazing moment in the theater. Okay, this amazing moment in the theater because my Chinese is terrible. Like my my Chinese language skills are very bad. I can't even write my own name in Chinese anymore. Uh, I I used to know for for uh, Chinese when I learned in Chinese school when I was young. I used to be able to do that, but okay, at the beginning of this movie. The Rock introduces himself to uh, that Chinese guy, a.k.a. one of the two Chinese guys that they get to play a Chinese guy in an action movie. Chin Chin Han, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. who is a a very talented actor. Uh, He was in The Dark Knight, and uh, he's been in a ton of other uh, American films. And The Rock introduces himself in Chinese to that guy. And then Chin Han's character, the billionaire, responds, but they do not subtitle what he said. And I actually knew what he said. Like I could understand what he said, um, and I was very excited about that. So this, is good. this movie gets two thumbs up from Dan. Yeah, that's right. Up. That's right. Um, and by the way, in case you're curious, what he said was uh, essentially the equivalent of, "Well, your Chinese is pretty good, but how about your English?" Or so, I, I think he says something like that. I don't. I don't uh-huh. actually remember because it was very unmemorable. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he says like your Chinese is pretty good, but how about your something else? Um, and uh, so I, I know that was a big mystery that was haunting you guys after you saw the movie. Yeah. And I'm just, yeah. I just want to clarify that for you. Thank you. Uh, I have some big things I want to talk about. Talk about, about them, let's, Jeffrey. Let's, talk about yeah. them. Okay. First of all, let's start small and we'll get big. Uh, first of all, uh, this whole movie doesn't happen if one dude in the basement, when he sees the fucking building start to crack, <laughs> goes – uh, hey guys, the building started to crack. Instead of, uh, I was in my head in here. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's dumb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Secondly, uh, another small small thing. I just want to point out that uh, much like The Rock in WWE would often point out, he literally is a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest uh, in one scene, uh, which I don't think was a coincidence, and I certainly mm-hmm. don't mean to, to be offensive, but that's the, an expression, and he is that. Um, also... I, I had never heard of that expression until this moment, but yeah, thank oh, you for I, educating yeah. us, Jeff. The Rock ahead. would The Rock would say that in the WWE. Oh, uh, I see. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, the uh, the there is a very big deal made <laughs> of the sphere in the pearl, mm-hmm. and they go up into the sphere, the tallest point in in the uh, in the skyscraper, and. Uh, the big cool thing that the guy reveals to The Rock at the beginning of the movie is that it is the sphere is lined with 8K displays <laughs> and cameras on the outside so he can literally feel like he's standing on top of the world. To which I would respond, that would work on the ground. <laughs> that would work on the ground. Build the sphere on the ground. It's true. <laughs> although I, I get the appeal of like being knowing you're however hundreds feet up and oh, all of a sudden the ground goes away. I, I will give cram- the movie you that. You put cameras a hundred feet up. You can put anything on the screens on the ground. It has. There's no reason right, right, that right. that would need to be actually high to make you feel actual. There's no sensation that that adds other than I guess your knowledge that you went up a long elevator. Yeah. Uh, so I, that. Is insane. I am less offended by how little sense that sphere makes, and more offended. Yeah. Well, first of all, it is Chekhov's AK displays. You know that's going to be <laughs> that's going to figure into the uh, finale yeah. somehow. Here's a but, giant boss battle room. I wonder what's going to happen. Giant here. boss battle room, but also your. Uh, I, I believe it is extremely similar to the uh, like one of the final action scenes of Total Recall, if I'm not mistaken. Right, like a bit, well, right. it also seems like the the what should we call it. Um, the Bruce Lee movie too, like Enter the Dragon yeah, and the mirror right. stuff too. Like it's it, all that. It just is like digital mirrors. You, though, guys. you are digital mirrors. It's, digital, yeah. it's just like you're you're inviting comparisons to literally some of the greatest action movies of all time. <laughs> yeah, and you and do you not have the goods. You do not have the goods. Them. You're writing you checks you can't attempt, catch. There's no attempt made to be cooler than them, even. And yeah. and what what is the what what is the tourist attraction exactly of all of the mirrors room thing? Like what when you bring people up there. Ostensibly, as a as a tourist attraction, I get the like make them feel like they're standing up high in the world. But what is the point of of seeing yourself four hundred times? What is that? Yeah, I don't know why the screens <laughs> pop up. I don't know what the point of that is. Other than man, it would be really cool to hide here. And uh, if you were in a shootout with enemies, you could easily you know make yourself appear in one of these screens yeah. somehow. Which the, the the geography of even doing that never made sense either. So I, that, I almost that got angry thing. at the end when The Rock yeah. said, "Hey, guess what? I'm behind you." I'm like, "No, you <laughs> effing aren't." <laughs> that is it's not like, how clearly, that scene was shot. Clearly, you're not. <laughs> can I tell you? Can I tell you the thing that made me the most angry? You. You are – and I, by the way, I've been angry before this, but th- a new level of anger at the very end of the movie. When you talk about Chekhov's 8K displays, what about the fact that we are on the to- tallest point in the, in the world uh-huh. and we have – they have very clearly done a lot of care and effort to establish the fact – that the escape plan for these bad guys was that they were going to base jump off this thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. They have parachutes. In fact, one guy had to give up his parachute in a very dramatic fashion. So they have been vanquished at the end of this movie. 
all that's left is the rock and his, and his, uh, son, daughter, daughter, daughter mm-hmm. at the top of the building flames all around them. Oh my God. How is the rock and his daughter going to get out of here? They're going to have to base jump. Nope. Nope. No, they're not. Nope. Nope. <laughs> nope. We just abandoned that completely. And, uh, yeah. she shuts off the fire and they're fine. She uses oh, yeah, the iPad, right. which, which by right. the way, they only gave to one human, right. uh, and, like one random dude that doesn't even work for the company. His face can unlock the whole thing. Actually, someone on Twitter pointed this out to me. What was the plan regarding taking the iPad if they knew that it needed his facial recognition? Yeah, <laughs> right. Like well, they they were just they he <laughs> hacked into it and unfacial recognized it. Yeah, yeah. But well, they needed the initial facial recognition. Like they held they, it up to hacked. the Rock's face. When Dave, right. yeah. yeah, what was the guy in the subway that stole his thing? Yeah, what was he going to yeah. do? It makes yeah. no sense. It makes no sense. Uh, you, you know what doesn't make a sense? This entire goddamn plot. What are these people <laughs> trying to do? Like they're they're trying to get this the 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 files, the thumb drive. The, the, you're, the only way to do that is to set <laughs> the building on fire. You don't like send somebody in to try to infiltrate it. Like uh, you know, hire somebody to maybe sneak into the penthouse. You don't jump from the top because you're already planning to base jump. Uh, it's uh, you, you you've got a lot of things you could be doing yeah. here. Yeah, there's twelve steps before set fire to anything. Yeah. yeah, and 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 message to Hollywood. Okay. <laughs> We are done. We are done with the files on the USB drive that <laughs> evidently this is the only copy of. Uh, uh-huh. We live in a cloud world where this dude literally did not need to make a safe for his USB drive. <laughs> he could have just had it in the cloud all the time. I like that so, his USB uh, drive was like a transformer, you know, like he, yeah, he built it, a special one. It like came to life, you know, like he could like unfold it and it had like eight pieces that were retractable or whatever. Anyway, but also he walks out at the end on the roof with the rock and there's 40 dudes with machine guns pointed at him and he's holding the USB drive. Shoot him and take the USB drive. <laughs> well, they don't want to damage the drive, Jeff. All okay? right. Yeah. Yeah, guys, this movie's pretty bad. So, it's... Dave, I have to ask, my suggestion was we review Sorry to Bother You, which I think is one of the best movies of the year, and we're, we're going to be doing that next week. Um, but are you entertained, Dave? <laughs> are you entertained? Because I I was very bored, and uh, because I went to see this movie, a bunch of my family also wanted to see it, so I brought everybody out to see it. So I also paid a lot of money to see the stupid movie. Hmm. I hope you're happy. Uh, I... First of all, I'm extremely happy. I just want yeah. to make sure that's clear. Second of all, uh, here's what I'm going to say. The sequence where the rock jumps from the crane to the building, I actually liked. I thought that was a good sequence. Oh, except, 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 <laughs> Dave, except I fucking hate, fucking hate the surrogate audience mm-hmm. in a movie. Yeah. The, the people inexplicably watching the the video of the person and gasping and cheering just to kind of give us basically a a uh, laugh track you know the equivalent of a laugh track in an action movie is to know when i hate it. i even hate it in ghostbusters one of my favorite movies of all time because i always wondered how the hell do those people know what's going on <laughs> when they're fighting zool they don't know they're just gasping and now we have up. drones with cameras you know yeah so. jeff come on Oh, that, that could do it all. That said, I was going to do like a big Boom Goes Dynamite joke this week about this week I saw The Rock on a big screen and a bunch of Chinese people laughing and pointing at him. 
um, and enjoying what he's his antics. But enough about the plot of the movie Skyscraper, you know, something like that. But oh, wow. I see. it was I'm too. Very glad was, you didn't do that. Too half meta boom. Yeah, yeah, me- I, meta, I say, meta boom. Yeah, we haven't mentioned this much, but uh, yeah, the uh, just everything about this movie looks really fake and awful too. <laughs> yes. Like nothing about this skyscraper feels believable. Uh, Digital Fire is still not there yet, so it <laughs> still know. looks mostly bad. So. It's it's a lot of people jumping to things that don't really exist yeah. with no real sense of like danger. And I'm not asking for people to risk their lives, but, you know, like give me a structure that actually exists somewhere that you're jumping to. I, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, they, they could have something e- they, could, they could have easily chosen a real life skyscraper to film this at. Right. I mean, when I say easily, I don't mean it would have been easy, but I mean, had they done that, I think the movie mm-hmm. would have felt very, very different. Um, but they couldn't have achieved all that crazy shit they wanted to do, you know. Um, oh, we have this. You have this uh, switch. You got to shut off at this turbine where everything's spinning at like fifty miles an hour, Ugh. and it's in the middle. You know, it just. You know, but there's it, nothing even like if you inv- if you're inventing from scratch the crazy shit that your hero needs to do. At least come up with some interesting shit for your hero to do. It yeah. feels <laughs> like a television episode of Star Trek. You know, like it feels like. Uh, and you know I love Star Trek, but I'm just saying it feels like it, it feels like an obstacle of that caliber and of that budget level and production value. You know, um, so it's unfortunate. I think there's a lot of missed opportunities here, and I don't think this is a very worthy diehard clone. Should people go see Skyscraper? Here's a question for you, Devinder Hardwar. Back at you. Did your family like it? Um. You know, it, it was they my loved it, didn't they? They loved my mother in law who likes pretty much everything, so she enjoyed it. And my brother in law who uh you know he he had fun with it. But uh, you know, not the most discerning crowd out way, there. Way to invalidate I, their opinions. I will tell you, throughout <laughs> the entire second half of this movie, I was fighting falling asleep. Because I knew you know exactly where all this is going. There's no there's you don't even need to watch it. You just know where this movie's going and yeah, it never surprised me one bit. Well, I will you know, say I, I loved the moment where the rock physically holds a a a bridge up yeah. by by standing on it. Yeah. He's standing on it and also holding it up because he's that strong. Yeah. That's that's why you can't just cast any old uh, actually you know uh, disabled person you actually the, the rock is the only person that you can get that would it's believable that he could stand on a bridge and also hold it up or also, or, or you could just not bridge. have that sequence you know what i mean or you which, could not have which that is sequence, a ridiculous but, sequence it's but, pretty yeah. dumb who yeah, edits yeah. who edits scripts these days nobody <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well anyway uh that's our review of skyscraper Probably not worth seeing. This is something that will come on TV in a couple of I, years. I wouldn't see this movie for free. Like, I used my <laughs> a, one of my A-list tickets on this, too. And I, you have so much more things to do with your lives. People, go out there. Live. Don't see Skyscraper. All right. You want, you're saying scrape the sky inside you. Yes. It was inside you all along. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can always email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Devendra Hardwar, where can people find more of your work on the internet this week? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech at Engadget.com. Jeff Kanata. Listen to me talk about video games on the DLC podcast. You can find that at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. 
DaveChen.net is where you can find all my stuff. I'm on Twitter at DaveChensky. That's DaveChensky. Next week, we'll be discussing Sorry to Bother You. Sorry to Bother You is going to be uh, happening next week. We're skipping Equalizer 2 and doing Sorry to Bother You instead. So uh, looking forward to that. Thanks for listening to the official podcast. We'll see you next week.